Several weeks ago, as we were planning and preparing for Bible school, I knew that I wanted to teach the Bible story, as I've done for a number of years during the week to the kids. And I also knew that it would be difficult for me to to do that and also to prepare and, and lead this morning, at least to do it very well. And so I asked Pastor Ron if he might be willing to share with us this morning, and he graciously was, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. He's going to come and share in just a moment. But before he does that, let me share with you something that's been happening here at the church. You know that we have been praying for some time that God might lead someone to help us here at the church with the ministry load of what we're doing, that someone that would better help us to see and to and to declare and to savor the glory of God together as a church body. We've been doing that really for about three years. We've been trying to find someone that might come on staff with us here at the church. For a while, knowing that Pastor Ron was going to retire, we preemptively looked for someone to come. And then in this last year, after Pastor Ron's retirement, we've continued that search. It's it's gone in fits and starts with covid in the middle of all of that, we had lots and lots of emails, lots of calls, lots of resumes, lots of questionnaires that we sent out to prospective people. We, we had job postings on bulletin boards. We even brought a few people in to Richland at different times to look at the church and get to know us and for us to get to know them better. And never in the midst of all of that did it seem quite right. It never worked out the way that we were hoping and praying that it would. And we've been asking you to pray that, that God might help us, that God might do whatever it takes to help us to find the right person to come on staff. We didn't know that that prayer was going to involve the closing of a nursing home to make that happen. But last fall, Stephen Duncan and Dave Palmer both volunteered to help lead our youth group on Wednesday nights throughout the school year. They did an excellent job. They, they bled well. They, they led the students well. Kids enjoyed coming and being together. Um, they, had, they chronologically walked through a portion of the Old Testament with, with great lessons. They had leaders who loved them and engaged with the students well, and I'm grateful to Dave and to Stephen for doing that. But even in the midst of that, our efforts were limited. We, we weren't able to touch kids outside of Wednesday nights here at the church very well. We weren't able to, to plan other activities besides what we were already doing very well. We had parents that helped us plan and host activities, and those were great. But we still felt that we needed more than that. And so we've been hoping, we've been praying that God would lead us. Not just for the sake of the youth, but for a number of the ministries that we have here at Richland, that God might help us with that. And so two months ago or so, there was an announcement in Ipswich that the nursing home in Ipswich was about to close. That's where Stephen Duncan worked full-time. And when I heard that announcement, I instantly, almost instantly as I read it online, felt prompted to talk to Stephen about what his future might look like and whether he might be interested in coming back on staff at the church as he was a number of years ago. He, too, had felt some prompting in the midst of that, and so in the last couple of months, we have had a number of conversations together, several meetings, and lots and lots of prayer 
between the two of us, culminating then in a couple of weeks ago having a, an elder board meeting where we had the elders meet and visit with Stephen, interview him, and let him connect with the elders as well. Following that meeting, we, the elders, unanimously decided to offer a full-time position over youth and children and other local church operations, offer that assistant pastor role to Stephen Duncan, and he has graciously accepted that role. And so, Stephen is going to come on staff here at the Richland Church, starting not this coming week, as he had a family vacation planned, and we're going to let him do that, I think. But after that, after that, we're going to have him come on staff and uh, work full-time here at the church, helping us with children, youth, and lots of other things. He'll be involved in every part of the church. And I'm excited about that. I'm grateful for his willingness to come. I'm grateful for the leadership of the elders through the midst of this. And I look forward to what these next days look like as Stephen comes on staff again, and we continue to minister together. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for Pastor Ron's leadership through all these years and through this process. I'm grateful for Stephen's willingness to serve. Even what, what, we'll, what we'll be paying him to do is what he's already been doing. We'll be asking more, but he's already been ministering and leading. And even in these last weeks, as we've been walking through this process, has just really helped in a number of ways. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for his heart. I'm grateful for who he is, really. And so I'm, I'm thankful that he's going to be a part and on staff here at Richland with us. Pastor Ron is going to come and share. And as I've already said, I'm thankful that he's here and that he's willing even to continue to fill some of these roles and help us in the ways that he can. And so I'm just going to invite him come, to come and to share with us this morning. It's exciting news to hear that, Stephen, you're going to be on staff. That was a prayer that we're grateful God has answered. And my time is going to be abbreviated this morning. We knew that. Pastor Jason had warned me there were some extra things that were going to be added. And so um, we're making uh, as good accommodation as we can. It's always dangerous to say that up front before you start to speak. But I'm going to. But I also want to say something just, just from a personal vantage point of VBS. I mean, certainly, Stephen, you, I, I watched you work this week with young people. You were one of the last ones to leave the other night when it was all over. And, and that's really been, the years that I was here, uh, an incredibly important ministry. Pastor Jason already mentioned that, but and many are weary. It, it, was, it was, I hope, a good weariness that you feel this morning if you're here. I remember when we came in 1979, um, in the midst of a pastoral tra transition, it would have been easy for the church to say, we're not going to have VBS, we're just not going to do it. But I remember, I distinctly remember um, the fact that Joy Palmer picked up a mantle, the mantle then and had it in, in some transition times. It was hard for her to do it, but she decided it, it, she wasn't going to take a break. Yeah, it, was, it would have been not too hard to do it, and she did it. And, and Joy, for a lot of years uh, preceding our time and even after we came, was involved in children's ministry and one of my kids' favorite teachers. But let me just share a snippet, a snapshot of this week of why I think it is so important that we continue to not say it's too hard and we continue to not take breaks from those kinds of things. 
Um, Pastor Jason already mentioned there was a, a gal from out of, out of town who came back who was involved in that, and Kay had a conversation with her. And, and she would be a picture of, of some of even what I'm talking about here. But we, we picked up this week in vans, we drove vans, and picked up some kids who had never been here before is at VBS. One family had never been here before. One family had come a little bit to Clubhouse before. But this is what happened. We, the first day we picked them up, it was fine, and they enjoyed it. They had a, kind of wondered what was going to happen, wondered where the church was at as they drive, especially this new family. But they, they got in, got acclimated to it. The next day, we were five minutes late. When we drove up to that house of that new family, they had already called Pastor Jason, wondering where we were. Uh, that's, the kids were so excited to come back because people had put the effort in to welcome them, and I'm grateful for that. And then it didn't stop then. We went to the, to the next house of so the family who'd been here a little bit at Clubhouse. They were upset that we were late because they wanted to be here. And that, that particular mother actually called us on Friday afternoon saying, what, what's going on on Friday night? It was all new to her. They'd never been at VBS before, wondering what was going on. And she said the kids loved it so much. And I'm going to come tonight and be here. And she did. She came with her kids. And also the mother of the family that had come for the first time was here that night and that evening. And then it didn't stop. We got another text later after VBS was over about camp. This, uh, this family wanting, the family had been here a little bit before, wanted to know about camps and their kids being involved in camps. So it just continues on. And they, this, is, uh, this is what I want to say quickly and then I'll move on to the text this morning. I really believe there's a, a text, a scripture that talks about you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. It's the one we use for our special need um, brochure that we give. I really believe that part of why God has allowed the church to be here and continue to be here in the location that we're at for all of these years has been because of a willingness to go to the least of these. And if there's ever the least of these, it's a generation of children who are unchurched today have no church connection and more and more that's the case more and more people are unchurched and I think God will continue to bless that and honor that I I'm grateful for this playground I'm grateful for that new activity center it all speaks to kids when they come uh, they're welcome and and we care about them so I just want to encourage you and and affirm you in that as we go forward now take your Bibles if you would and turn to Ephesians chapter 3 I want to just briefly make some comments there in Ephesians chapter 3. It's one of the books that I never had opportunity to preach through, and I'm enjoying getting into the book in these days. But in Ephesians chapter 3, I want to begin reading at verse 14. I'm going to read through verse 21, but I want you, as I read it, and if you, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on page 977 of a pew Bible, you can find this text. But I want you to, to notice the flow of the text, and I especially want you to Notice how it ends, how the end of it comes. Let's read it together. Verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then in verse 20, Paul says, 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. For, <clears throat> excuse me, forever and ever. Amen. Do you notice how that text ends? Paul begins to talk about the love of God, but then he ends with doxology. He ends with a, just a, almost a spontaneous moment of worship and praise to God for all that he's been talking about here in this text. He says, really, he just really shouts, glory to God, glory to God for all that he has done. A spontaneous moment, I think, for Paul as he was contemplating the kinds of things that he was writing. One of the things that I've appreciated in this transition time of being able to sit over there and, and be a part of the service is, is at the close of the services, the benedictions that are read. I hope, I don't, hope you don't check out when that comes. I hope you hear it because it's, it's, it's a spontaneous response, again, to what we've just done those benedictions. They're rich. They're full of richness and, and full of worship as we hear them read. And this is one of those kinds of things, this, this benediction, if you will, this doxology that Paul comes to after he's contemplated the truth. Now, what I want to quickly do, there's, there's two truths that spur this. One is in the doxology itself. Look there at verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Uh, that, that's number one, the power of God, the sovereignty of God, the, the God who accomplishes his purposes. Paul is marveling in that God, this all-powerful, sovereign God, who he says can do more and wants to do more and will do more than we can even imagine for his people, for the church. And he's, he's, he's amazed at that statement. But it, it's, it's deeper than that, I think. It, it isn't just the sovereignty of God. It is some doctrine about God being sovereign and, and, and supreme. But there's something else that comes a little bit before that, I think, that combines with that as we look deeper in the text. Look with me at verses 18 and 19 because I think that's where you find the other half of this, which I think is really what causes Paul to, to rise up at this moment. And this is what he says. May, uh, may we have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ to his people. That's really what he's saying there, that we somehow would understand how magnificent it is, and then he says, you can't. That's, that's really what he says. I hope you will, but you can't. You'll never exhaust it. You'll never exhaust an understanding of the love of God for his people, for his church. So you combine those two things, an all-powerful God, which would be absolutely frightening, except it's an all-powerful God who at the same time is a loving God and brings those two things together for the sake of his church, for the sake of a people who will look to him. That's what causes, I think, Paul here in this case to marvel at the, at the uh, things that he's been contemplating, the things that he's been talking about. These past Days, I've been asking God 
personally in my life to help me to, to better see that, to see the depth and height and width and all of that of the love of God. And, and there's some texts. I want to just look at four texts this morning, some things that God has been teaching me and showing me and helping me to see in a better way about the love of Christ so that, again, my life will be more spontaneous in saying glory to God. There will be times when whether, whether your personality and your temperament is to say it audibly or it just wells up within you. There's just a sense of glory to God. Glory to God. There was a pastor on the district. In fact, he was the district superintendent who hired me to come here at Richland 40-some years ago. And I remember one particular night at, at camp in Rapid City that he was praying. And, and it was just an amazing time. The, he, was, he, was, he was saying glory to God, but he was, he was, he, he was just caught up in the moment. In fact, he was so caught up with the moment of praying, and it was so genuine, it was such a unique moment, that, that kind of people almost had to touch him to bring him back, to bring him back, because he was marveling. I want to I marvel. I, we'll all do it differently. We'll do it with different temperaments, but I want to marvel at the love of God. Sovereignty of God's a wonderful thing. I want to I appreciate that in all its dimension. But I want to I marvel God's love toward me. And I hope that for you, the same might even as you go through this summer and these things might help prompt that in you. The first text that I want to look is pretty familiar. We're going to put them on the screen, I think. Let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish and have eternal life. You see it at ball games. You see it all kinds of places. It becomes so familiar that, that we kind of miss it sometimes. But what caught me in this text is it doesn't say God loved. It says God so loved. So loved. There's emotion in that. It's emotive in its expression. There's feelings involved. Sometimes we don't see God that way, I don't think. But in this text, I think you see God so loved, so moved toward a people. And we go on to know that he gave, and he gave his son. It's interesting, when God spoke to Abraham, remember Abraham was on on the mountain with his son and ready to sacrifice his son? And God said to him, Now I know, now I know, Abraham, that you truly love me because you would not withhold your son from me. What is that about? What is that whole experience of Abraham about? It's to help us to see that God so loved. He put his love upon a people, a people who would look to him, a people who would rest in him and all that he is for them in his son. He so loved them. The second text is 1 John 4, 8. 1 John 4, 8, and the part I want you to see is God is love. God is love. John 17, 24 says this, The Father loved me, Jesus is speaking, The Father loved me, 
before the foundation of the world. We can just breeze over texts like that. Can't we? That God loved the Son, Jesus, before the foundation of the world. We can just kind of read past that to get to the good stuff. But if we stop and think about that, what we begin to see is the beauty of the Trinity, which again is a doctrine sometimes we don't want to th- think about so hard because it's hard to think about. But it's so important. It's so important, this issue of the love of God. God is love, and God has always been love from the very beginning. In fact, there was no beginning. So he has always been that. But if he were a singleton God, in the sense of of all the other gods that we know of, and not a Trinitarian God, it would be different. Singleton gods are self-centered. God's never been self-centered. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, loving one another, three, yet one God in three persons. Now again, it's not easy to understand, but don't avoid it because it says to us that God is love and always has been love and has always been loving. Loving to the Son, loving to the Spirit, and vice versa, between the Trinity. Love has always existed. It's always been natural for God the Father to reach beyond himself to the Son and to the Spirit. And it's natural for him now. The Trinity delights to draw us in to the bosom of their love. The Trinity didn't need to do that. There's no need in God. But they chose to draw us in to the bosom of that perfect love. God is love. Augustine says the Trinity means God has always had an object of his affections. That's no simple thing. That's something to ponder. That's something to really ponder as we think about God. A singleton God, a singleton God is a self-centered God. We have a Trinitarian God. As hard as that is fully to understand, we need to appreciate it. And I hope it's one of those texts that as we see it more and more that causes us to say, as Paul did, glory to God. The third text is this. It comes out of Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. It says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil. Let love be genuine. Another translation would say, let love must be sincere, hate what is evil. One of the questions when we start to talk about love is we wonder how does love and judgment connect? How does love and the wrath of God connect? How, how can you put those two things together and not do disservice to either one? The danger always, I had this conversation a while back with one of you, the danger is you, you, can, you can do it by emphasis. You can put too much emphasis on one and not talk about the other and you can do damage. I think you have to understand their, their intention together and how they fit together To say God is love is not a denial that there will be judgment. It's not a denial that that wrath 
comes from God at times. So how do they fit together? John MacArthur would say this, because he so completely loves what is true and right, he must hate all that is false and wrong. Because he so perfectly loves his children, he hates all that curses and debases them. If you're a parent, you imperfectly do that. You, you imperfectly, God does it perfectly, we do it imperfectly, but we want to protect, don't we? We, we have an instinct to protect and God's protection, God's wrath against sin is an expression of his love for us. His hatred of sin, hatred of all that tears down. D.A. Carson says this, which is one of the richest jewels in this journey God has put me on to, to look about the love of God. This is what he said. Once sin has been judged, wrath will cease but God's love will continue because God is love. Once sin has been judged, wrath will cease, but God's love will continue because God is love. There will be no wrath one day. It will be gone. In a new heavens and a new earth, it will be gone. There will be no reason for it. Sin will be gone. The, per the reason for it disappears. And this is the truth that, is, that has caught me. Love is an attribute of God. It's a characteristic of God, and therefore it will always be a characteristic of God. Wrath is not. Wrath will cease. It's not an attribute of God. It's a response to sin. And so, the, the, the quote of Carson, once sin has been judged, wrath will cease. I say to you who have fled to Jesus for rescue this morning, there is no wrath for you. It is gone. And though the enemy will come to you at times and say it's there, it is not. And you have to fight that. And some of your temperaments have to fight it harder than others. sin is judged and for the Christian it was judged in Christ he who had no sin became sin for us it was poured out on him it's why we sing here about it at times because we want people to see that the remedy is for it to be put on Christ and it's gone forever once it's there it's gone forever even when I'm moody and out of sorts and say things I ought not to say or think them. There's no wrath from God toward me. When I functionally serve other idols, by that I mean comfort or control or whatever other idols we might struggle with, when I functionally serve those things and don't serve Him, which is a definition of sin, there is no wrath from God toward me. It's gone. When my eyes linger places too long, there's no wrath. It's gone. When my heart wanders and grows cold, there is no wrath. It is gone. When judgment falls, wrath disappears. And judgment for the Christian fell on Christ. He took the penalty for us. 
And I say to you this morning, if Satan is trying to convince you otherwise, fight it with everything within you to believe that truth. Fight it. Don't let the enemy confuse you. The one who really struggles with this is the one who's really sensitive. And you know you've confessed it. You know that you're sorry. You know that, that you don't want to live there. And, and uh, Satan will come and try to say, look at that, look at that. And what I say to you is, don't look at that. Look at Christ. He is our Savior. He is our wrath bearer. And one day, because you have let him be that and rested in him, it will be gone. It will be gone. It will no longer be here. And then finally, number four this morning, John 17, 23. This again is a powerful truth that is amazing to comprehend. Let me read it to you. It's on the screen. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know you sent me and love them even as you loved me. That's Jesus speaking. He's speaking in regards to the Father. I and them, your people, and you and me. He's, he's talking, God, Father, you and me. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Remember that Trinitarian love that was shared between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity past? Had no beginning. It's just there. That love that flowed between them, that's the love now that God beckons us into. He beckons us to come. He, he wants to, us to experience it. That's the call of the gospel. He wants us to, to live in that love. One has said God sent his son to demonstrate his love and invite us into it. That love, the, the same love, not, not, not second rate, but the same love, the same love the father has for the son. That's what this text says. He beckons us into. God desires to share the eternal love he has for the Son with all who will believe. With all who will believe. All who will cast themselves upon the work of the Son. So what should our response be? People, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. I hope you begin to see the love of God throughout Scripture and it causes you to say, glory to God. That's exactly what it did for Paul. It's exactly what he did. Listen to how he says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. A.W. Tozer said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to your mind when you think about God? Is it his love toward you? His love toward one who 
certainly was undeserving. All of us are. But he beckons us into it. He beckons us into that love. I hope we'll think much about it. I hope it will cause us to say again and again and again, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Worship team is going to come and lead us this morning. Let's stand together. How has the sinner been forgiven? How has the rebel been made clean? Oh, blinded eyes been made to see. How have the orphans been adopted? Who hated your love and ran from grace, despised and rejected all your ways. How wonderful the Father's love, the Father's love for us. That he send his only son to come and rescue us he has saved us called us blameless guides us now and will sustain us oh how wonderful the father's love Your mercy floods our lives with kindness. Your grace is colored all we see, and you have promised not to leave. You freely give your spirit to us, so we can be sure we're sons of God and rest in the hope of what's to come. Father's love, the Father's love for us, that He would send His only Son to come and rescue us. He has saved us, called us blameless, guides us now and will sustain us. Oh, how wonderful the Father's love. Though sufferings may fill our lives, we're confident, we're heirs with Christ, and so we cry, Abba, Father. Though sufferings may fill our lives, we're confident, we're heirs with Christ, and so we cry, Abba, Father. love, the Father's love for us, that He would send His only Son to come and rescue us. How wonderful the Father's love, the Father's love for us, that He would send His only Son to come and rescue us. 
has saved us, called us blameless, guides us now and will sustain us. Oh, how wonderful the Father's love. I'm going to share with you a different benediction than what I had chosen. This one comes from Ephesians chapter 3, which we've just been learning about. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning.